Good afternoon, everyone. Proverbs 25:25 says, "Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land." Amen. Now, uh, CJ used to bring us good news from Glasgow, and Scotland is a distant land compared to Smethwick. But uh, it is very encouraging just uh, to have CJ with us, and uh, also just to hear of brothers and sisters, you know, in that part of the United States meeting together, and just seeing and hearing about how God works in the lives of His people. It's very, very encouraging. I wonder, Cam, can we flip back to that one picture? Um, myself and uh, Dave and Sarah, we just actually got back into town uh, about 25 minutes to 2. Uh, we woke up this morning on the side of a lake in Sweden. Uh, living, we were in a youth hostel. Uh, I don't know why they let me in, but... Um, <laughs> yes, anyway, uh, that was us last night, actually. And it was a meeting of the staff of our churches in the UK and also in the Nordic countries. So it was a very, very encouraging retreat. And uh, um, it was uh, Dave and Sarah came ready to share a little news in our missions part, but we weren't quite sure we'd get here on time. And then we had news from even a more distant land. So there'll always be another uh, opportunity to share. And uh, we just had a great time together, though. This is uh, just uh, brothers and sisters from uh, you, you recognize faces from London and a, a very unifying and uh, very encouraging time together. Lots of good news uh, happening. But let's uh, turn in our Bibles over into Mark, Matthew chapter uh, 10. Matthew chapter 10. You know, Derek was sharing during the time of the communion that the message of the cross for some is foolishness. And actually, when you think about it, uh, it is a little unusual that the creator of the universe would have to send his son to die on a cross for us. I mean, that this, the whole concept does sound a little unusual. And yet what we, we see in this is God somehow had to communicate to us what it costs him personally to love us. And that's a big cost. Because to love us is to forgive us. I mean, there's no point in God loving us if He's not willing to forgive us. His love wouldn't really do a whole lot for us if He wasn't willing to forgive us. But for God to forgive us, He must deny justice in one sense. And that's what happened on the cross. We see the cross being an act of mercy, an act of grace, not an act of justice. And we see God making a statement to us that He's willing to not hold our sins against us. And we might think, well, how have I ever sinned against God? But He made us perfect. He made us in His image. You know, we have some little babies in the crowd today. And it's so awesome to look in the face of a child. That's how He made us. Well, what happened to us? We used to look like Eowyn. We used to have that innocence in us, oozing out of us. You know, we just love to be around the innocence of a child. And yet everyone has sinned. They come to a certain age in their life when they know good and evil. They know the difference. They have a conscience. They make a decision. And because of that, that sin, something must be done. We ourselves can't do anything. We just sinned. We can't change that. We can't go back in time. We can't do anything about that fact. But God can offer us forgiveness. And see, the cross demonstrates the heart of God in an amazing way. Now, if you're visiting with us today, maybe you've heard about the cross, maybe not. It, it is kind of an unusual concept to really think about it. We get used to the idea of the cross because we grow up in Christian countries. And we see the imagery of the cross around us. But the Son of God came to earth and was reduced in power into human form. And took upon himself the same limitations that we have. In fact, the scripture says he lived by faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And shows us how to live. And that's what I want to focus in on today. The Son of God didn't just die on the cross. He actually came and lived a physical life. 
Let's look in Matthew 10. We'll pick this up in verse 1. Matthew 10, verse 1. It says, Jesus called His twelve disciples to Him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The theme of our message this morning is freely we've received, freely we need to give. And if you're visiting with us, maybe you haven't quite received yet what I'm going to encourage you to freely give. But I want you to encourage you then to freely receive. To really open up your heart to the plan of God for you. This is why the Son of God came. The Son of God came on a mission. There's a, a, um, a church leader over in the United States. His name is Rick Warren. And he talks a lot about God as a purpose and a mission. And we have a purpose and a mission. And our purpose is our relationship with God. But our mission, once we have our purpose on straight, is to help other people fulfill their purpose. See, helping them fulfill their purpose is our mission. Jesus came on a mission to seek and save what was lost. And that mission began with Him. No one else could do it. It had to begin with God. But then he's inviting these 12 men, in this case, to join him in the mission. In another place, it says he chose 12 so they could be with him. He could train them and send them out. And so Jesus had a mission for the world. And that was to seek and save the lost. That was to teach his message, to introduce the world to his father. What an amazing mission. But He also then chose us, and if we receive the purpose that He has for us, we also receive the mission. How can we say, I have Christ in me, and not have Christ's mission? How can I freely receive and not freely give? And so, He looked at these men and said, you've received some amazing things. Now, what did they receive? Just looking at this text. Personally, they'd walked with Jesus They've even been personally picked by Him. How would you feel? You ever been in the play yard wanting to be picked? You know, and uh, you know they're going around and you're like, Hey, pick me, but you, know, you really want to play and only a certain number can play. Well, Jesus had decided to pick 12, probably symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel, going back a little bit in Jewish history. But He chose 12. And these guys were chosen by Jesus. Now, how do you think they felt that day? I imagine they were pretty fired up. I got chosen. I'm on Jesus' team. This is awesome. But if they were smart, they would have been a little afraid too. Because if they'd been listening, Jesus was saying, I'm on my way to the cross. I'm on my way to give my life for everyone. Do you want to join me? But when you just see the miracles and you see the power and you see the wisdom, you're kind of like, oh yeah, well, maybe the cross, but I like what I see right here. But they were fired up. They'd seen how Jesus loved people. And they'd received that love. They'd been recipients freely. They'd received a message of the kingdom. What an incredible message. God's kingdom is coming. And this message of eternal life with God, beginning here on earth, but lasting forever in heaven. Is that pretty good news? They also received authority over unclean spirits or demons. And a power over disease and affliction, leprosy and even death. Now, those are some pretty good gifts, aren't they? And they've been given all of that freely. 
None of that was of their own making. Jesus chose them. Jesus loved them first. Jesus is the one that introduced them to the message of God's kingdom. Jesus gave them this power and authority over demons and disease and even death. Now let's look a little further in chapter 10. Go down to verse 29. Jesus introduced them to God. It says in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's getting easier with some of us. So, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, Chris, are you being really sincere, patting Roy on the shoulder like that? Not, I'm just teasing. Good head of hair you got there, Chris. Uh, yes. Anyway, um, you know, God knows us. He knows us really personally. And He cares about us. But you know, we get into situations in our life where sometimes we find that hard to believe. You know, I just got off the phone with Warner on the, way, on the drive over from Stansted Airport. Uh, Warner called me. And uh, he, he was encouraging me. And he's had his second treatment of some kind of radiotherapy treatment. And, you know, they're trying to shrink the cancer that's around his spine right now and do some things just to ease his pain. And Warner's calling me just to say, hi, how are you doing? You know, Warner's got a message that goes much far beyond this world. And he's got a hope that's much more than just in this body. And really, Warner, like each one of us, has been chosen by God for an amazing purpose, to have a relationship with Him. And Warner's still reaching out, still encouraging us, and reaching out to others around him. Do you ever find yourself wishing you'd lived in the time of the apostles? Do you ever feel like, man, we, we got the difficult job? I mean, this is all now 2,000 years back in history. And we're expected to believe this just like they did. I mean, they got to see Jesus. They got to touch Him. They got to eat with Him. They, they got hugged by Jesus. Pretty amazing thought, isn't it? But you know, Jesus' plan was never to stay here in a human body, in one single human body forever. That was never the plan. The plan was one to come and take that body and then to offer that body as a sacrifice for us. That was always the plan. But then it was actually to create a new body. A body that would be called the church. A body that's made up of all of our physical beings. And that He would live in us. And that we could in fact be His presence physically here on earth. And I want us to look at this They got to personally walk with Jesus, but so do we. Freely you have received, freely give. Look over in John 16. This is an interesting passage. Because it focuses in on what was going to happen in the future. John 16, verse 5. And he says... Now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You know, there's a lot of things that we could kind of dig out of that scripture. But what he's talking about is Jesus who had once been sort of invisibly coexisting with the Father. Had put himself into a physical body. Been incarnated. 
But it says after Jesus rose from the dead that God gave him back the promised Holy Spirit. And Jesus had promised his disciples, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Because if that spirit was poured out on the world, Jesus with divine power is now everywhere. And as Christians, this is one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian. We receive a portion of his indwelling in each one of us. We've received the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talks about this as if it's better. See, what would it be like if Jesus was in a physical body with 7 billion people on the planet? Some of us would be sitting in line for years just for one chance to meet Him. But He solved that because He can be in all of us at the same time through the Holy Spirit of God. He is in us. Look a little further in that same text. Because I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of His own. He will speak only what He hears. And He will tell you what, he's, what is yet to come. He will glorify Me because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to you. You know, it, it gets pretty, this is all pretty hard for the disciples to understand that somehow Jesus, who they could see right in front of them, would somehow be everywhere through the Spirit of God. But that's what He was promising them. And that Spirit would then train them, teach them. It would be with them. Look over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 24. He said, as for you, and this is written to disciples of Jesus, who've believed and repented and been baptized, and they've received the gift of God indwelling them, the, of the Son in them. And it says, As for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in Him. So you had this another image of anointing, where something would be poured out on us, and it would actually become part of us. And this is the Spirit of God. And if we really believe this, there's a transformation that happens because of the cross, because of the promise of God, we can have our sins forgiven and receive His Holy Spirit. And we're different. But we must remain in Him. You know, you could have a lodger at your house. Maybe rent out one of your rooms. But that doesn't mean you ever talk to them. That doesn't mean you actually have a relationship with them. God has given us a spirit. But then He wants us to commune with Him in that spirit. To have a relationship with Him. God wants us to see His presence in us. And it's an act of faith. And if you're visiting today, you might think, Boy, that sounds pretty unbelievable. If the Son of God could fit Himself into one human body, why can't He put Himself into many? This is what the Bible's telling us. That He is living in us. And so we look back at the apostles and we think, it would have been so great to have been in the first century, to have seen Jesus. And yet he says, you know, it's actually good that I'm leaving. Because there's going to be so many followers of mine, it wouldn't be fair that just a few could be close to me. I want to, in fact, be in all of you. You know, they had power over spiritual beings. Does that sound pretty cool to you? Would you like a little power over demons? 
You know, there's a prince of demons. His name is Satan. And in many ways, that's sort of a misnomer because he's not really prince of anything. What he's prince of isn't going to last. But he is the most powerful, powerful of his kind. But look what it says over in James chapter 4, verse 7. We've been given power. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, I hope you don't think that the devil has no power whatsoever. But it says here that if we resist him, he actually will flee. Well, the way to resist him is to just tighten your fellowship with God. It's to remember the presence of God that's in you. It's to live according to God's purpose for your life. Submit yourselves then to God. And resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, they walked with Jesus, so can we. They had power over spiritual powers, so do we. They had power over sickness and death. And this is an interesting one because... Uh, Sometimes I think we'd like it for our own reasons. You know, Jesus performed many miracles, but his purpose was not to heal all the sick people in the world. And it definitely wasn't to keep people from dying physically forever. You know, if that was true, all those first century disciples would still be around. But through his miracles, he was trying to show that there's something more important than physical death and that's spiritual death. And there's something more important than spiritual weakness and spiritual illness, and that's, sorry, than physical weakness or physical illness, that's spiritual illness, spiritual weakness. We all one day will die, unless we happen to live long enough that Jesus comes back first. That's going to happen to all of us. But the truth is, we have power through Him even over death. Because of the Spirit in us. Look over in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And we'll pick this up in verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, it's interesting. All of these words that are used for physical illness and weakness are also used in the scripture for spiritual illness and spiritual weakness. And it was a Jewish custom, actually Jewish medicinal practice, not religious practice, but medicinal practice, to pour oil on a wound, to anoint someone with a fever with something that would help the fever go down. This was medical practice. But there was also a symbolism in it, because when we are ill or weak spiritually, We need each other's prayers. And he comes down to the the conclusion here. Therefore, pray for each other. Confess your sins one to another. This isn't meant to be a prescription of how to live forever. Every time I feel feel ill, let's just bring the elders in. And I'm going to start a new cycle of life. That wasn't the intention. The intention was to bring us back to prayer and the power of God. Now, we do believe God has the power to heal. But we also have many examples, starting with Jesus, of praying to God, take away this thorn, take away this difficulty in my life, and the answer was no. Because I am glorified in your weakness. It was said to Jesus, it was said to Paul. Has God ever said that to you? It's been said to us, hasn't it? But see, God is glorified in our weakness when we trust in Him. 
If someone's suffering, that same word is if someone's going through hardship. 2 Timothy 4, 5. If someone's sick, that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 11, verse 30, about people who aren't taking the communion spiritually. They're just going through a routine. And it's not having spiritual effect. And they're weak. And it says that this will make them well. And the word actually is to save or keep safe. You know, there's a symbolism. And it's great when God does give us physical healing. It's fantastic. But the truth is, that's not always His will. And it definitely isn't His will that we live forever in these bodies. But look a little further. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. See, this is a brother or sister, but brothers and sisters can wander away. Brothers and sisters can give up being disciples of Jesus and submitting themselves to Him. And if you don't submit to God, you can't resist the devil. It's only by submitting to Him that we can resist the devil. Whoever turns a sinner, in this case a brother or sister who's wandered away, they, they will, from the error of their way, will save them from death. See, salvation isn't something you just get like your driver's license. And you get a little card that says, I'm saved. And then you can do whatever you want with it. Salvation was meant to be an integral part of who we are. That we were saved for a purpose. And once that purpose of relationship with God is given... Now we're on a mission with God to do exactly what Jesus did. And so we see that just like with the apostles, we've been equipped. Jesus is with us. He's given us power in our lives. And we need to use that power according to His will. But you know, there's also a lot more. Look at this in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 3. says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty big quantity. Every spiritual blessing. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven, and on earth under Christ. We've been given every spiritual blessing. You know, think about what God has given you. Just take a second. What, what are you grateful for that God has given you? Is there something in your life that you just can't explain? I mean, for me personally, I have this sense that God's word is true. It's a conviction. But when I really think about it, I know that's not from me. I know that God gives that. You know, some of us are amazingly patient and loving. Just It just seems to ooze out. And I know that's coming from somewhere. And I believe it's actually coming from God. You know, God has given us incredible riches and blessings. Freely you have received, freely give. Isn't it great to receive blessings from God? Who's, who's in favor of receiving blessings? 
Okay, good. We get some unity happening here. Okay, blessings are awesome. Freely you have received, freely give. Okay, let's just try this. I'm going to say freely you've received. I want you to answer freely give. Freely you have received. Okay. You know, what did it cost you? Yeah, we might say, you know, well, I gave up my life to become a Christian. You gave up a sinful life. We talked about this parable last week. We went and sold all we had and all we got for it was a field of dirt. It just so happened in the dirt was a treasure. That was the parable of a man finding the treasure of the kingdom of God. We have been blessed so richly. Freely we have received. Freely give. You know, it's interesting to note what the apostles didn't receive. Look, look, go back to Matthew. Matthew 10. We'll pick this up in verse 9. He says, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Now that's interesting. What did Jesus promise them? He he promised them their keep, which is actually someone's going to meet your needs. He didn't promise them gold, silver, precious stones. He didn't promise them wealth. Jesus never taught a wealth and prosperity gospel. Jesus never said, follow me and you will never be sick again. Follow me and you're going to have all the money you would ever want. Follow me and you're going to be successful. Jesus never said that. Now, it's said on the TV set, but Jesus didn't say it. Interestingly, the same guys that say it often say, you know, put your hand on the TV set, I'll give you a little healing. And then also, here's an address, please send your money. It's sort of almost a network, uh, you know, pyramid marketing scheme. What Jesus said is this, I will give you eternal life. I will give you a relationship with God. Through me, you will really live. But by the way, Seek the kingdom first and his righteousness and everything you need will be given to you. Matthew 6.33 He's promised to take care of us. We've got to understand something. Our treasure isn't here on earth. Our treasure is in heaven. And we think about retirement. We, all, we can't help but do it, right? Well, some of us. Okay, we, we think about the future. We think about being prepared. But let's think a little further. Just don't think 20 or 30 years. Let's think 100 years. What's in your retirement plan 100 years from now? And you go, well, 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 wait a minute. What, What plan is that? It's God's plan. Store up treasure for yourself in heaven. Use worldly wealth to gain friends here on earth. So you receive a rich welcome into eternal dwellings. That's Luke 16, verse 10. We have given, been given time. Probably not enough time for a good pension here on earth. But we have enough time for an amazing pension in heaven. For amazing treasure. First of all, we've already received our own salvation. But God is actually... Asking us to work with Him to help more people know their purpose. He didn't save us so we could simply just sit in our our, uh, easy chairs and live the life we want. He saved us so we could live the life He wants us to live. You know, 11 of the 12 of Jesus' disciples, this was enough. The eternal benefit system of Jesus was enough. They didn't need any more. Sadly, one of them sold out for 30 pieces of silver. For 30 
pieces of silver, someone who had been personally picked by Jesus, someone who had received the message of the kingdom, someone who had authority to drive out demons and heal the sick and even raise the dead. Judas was one of the twelve. For 30 pieces of silver, he gave up heaven. You know, we have been given so much. And yet the world is just sending its advertising to us constantly. Don't think about the future. Think about right now. And don't worry about heaven. Worry about earth. But Jesus came so we could have treasure in heaven. You know, is there anything keeping us from our purpose? Is there anything keeping us from freely giving? Is searching for financial security distracting us? Is having a good reputation not rocking the boat? Just being so nice that everyone just goes, that's the nicest person I've ever met. You realize that's not what they always said about Jesus. Now for those that wanted to be saved, for those that wanted to believe the truth, yes, it was great. The aroma of Christ was sweet. But for those that rejected Him, He was the smell of death. It's the same for us. You know, what about trying to get balance in our lives? You know, isn't that an endless pursuit of trying to get things balanced? Now, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but let me just see. That's not heaven. A balanced life on earth is not the goal. Now, we pray for peace. The Bible teaches us because that's when the gospel can go out the easiest. We, we pray for blessings. We pray for the good of others. We want this to be a positive message, a positive experience. But we've been given a message that transcends human circumstance. And sometimes we face difficulties because that's what's really going to see the heart. That's what's really going to show the message of Jesus to the people around us. If we're just, you know, have everything we need financially, everything seems to be going well... Is that why we want people to become Christians? How about when things aren't going so well and we're still content and still happy and still generous and still sharing? Won't that impact people? See, in our hardship, in our weakness, the glory of God shows in a completely different way. Let's just turn over to close. Look over in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And we'll look in verse 36. Mark 6, 36. And what's happened here is Jesus was trying to get a little time with the disciples, but the crowds followed them. He was trying to be on a retreat, but it didn't really happen. And so they came and they were far away from food and everything. And Jesus knew there was going to be a problem. So if we just pick this up actually in verse 35, it says, By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Now, I do appreciate the fact they were thinking about the people. But this wasn't solving the problem at any personal cost, was it? Send them away. Do you ever feel like doing that to your problems? Just send them away. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. 
Wow, that, that's pretty awesome with five loaves of bread and two fish. 5,000 people ate. You know, I think often in our lives we're at the end of what we can do on our own strength. But that's actually when it really gets interesting, isn't it? That's when the step of faith begins. If we're going in our own strength, that's not faith. But when we're going in God's strength, that's faith. Sometimes we can get everything so measured out, even our schedules, that there's no faith left. I've planned to give God four hours of my time this week. And I'm going to do this for Him and that, and we get it all scheduled out, have a little time in the morning, open up my Bible, pray. You know, I might even spend a little time this one day sharing my faith with people, and we get it all organized. But see, does God really get our lives that way? The question is, have we measured everything out so much that faith isn't in the measurement? They thought they had nothing. Well, they were wrong. There was five loaves and two fish. That's not nothing, that's something. Now, is it much? You know, you don't have to have much. But it has to be offered to God for the miracle to happen. What do we need to do? Sit down, say a prayer, and everyone gets enough. We just need to give it to God. You know, if you look back in Mark chapter 6, do you know what preceded this event? Why Jesus wanted to get away? First of all, John the Baptist, his cousin, had been put to death. So there was a death in the family, and Jesus really didn't have time to grieve and to reflect on that and think about that. I mean, he, that was pretty shocking. Of course, Jesus also knew that what happened to John in some form would happen to him. But then he sent out his disciples on, on a campaign. And they'd worked really hard and he'd brought them back to get some rest. Do you ever feel like you're tired? And you've done enough? It's in those moments you know God does amazing things. Jesus didn't use this as an excuse. There's a huge crowd. How do you feel about huge crowds demanding a little piece of you? Sometimes it's just two kids and a spouse. But it feels like a huge crowd. And what did Jesus do? He thought about their needs and he sacrificed and he served. Okay, some have four kids. Okay, some, some crowds are bigger than others. But catch this one. In the context of all this, he was surrounded by his disciples who were tired, irritated, and somewhat faithless. What a crowd. See, does this sound like a setting for a miracle? Absolutely. <laughs> nothing else is going to happen here. I mean, it's going to be nothing or a miracle. You got what I'm saying? Or maybe sin or a miracle. But Jesus got the focus back in on God. And a miracle took place. You know, in Mark 5.36, Jesus was surrounded by some critics. And what it says... There is ignoring what they said. He went in and then healed the uh, girl who had died, raised her from the dead. But they're saying, he said she's just asleep. And they said, no, they started laughing and ignoring what they said. Sometimes you've got to ignore what everyone's saying. So you can just go do what you know is right. You know, Matthew and Mark 14, 1... There's a woman who poured uh, ointment on Jesus' feet. And what it says in Mark is, the woman did what she could. She didn't perform a miracle. She just did what she could. This isn't that complicated, is it? It's really just seeing God wants to work through us. He has called us out of the world. He's given us every blessing in the spiritual realm. He's given us everything we need. But He gave it to us with a purpose and a mission. Purpose to unite us with Him. Mission to help as many others as possible join in.
You know, what if it said, freely you've received, now freely just keep it to yourself. That'd be a pretty convenient gospel, right? Just keep it. Don't worry about anyone else. Just enjoy it yourself. That's not what Jesus said. He said, freely you've received, now freely give. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, our salvation isn't a result of any work that we could do. But according to God, salvation leads to works that He has prepared for us to do. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll read verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Paul said, I am the least of the apostles. See, he wasn't one of those twelve. Jesus appeared to him personally. He had a little bit of an abnormal birth. But he was given the same authority and power and mission as the twelve were. He said, I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than than all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. See, grace for Paul is a motivation. It's a gift that motivates. It's, it's It's the beginning of something that flows out from you. It isn't something you just keep to yourself. It's something. Who has too much grace? Who wants the stream of grace from God just to continue from now to the day they die, okay? Who who wants to be in that stream? Well, God wants it to come through us. You know, He doesn't want us to be these great fat grace, you know, babies. Just sort of, you know, sucking on His grace constantly. And we're just like, wow, this is so awesome. Oh, I'm a little tired. I just, well, go to sleep in His grace. He wants us to be full of His grace that it overflows out of us. And that's what Paul said. I mean, what a bold statement. I worked harder than all of them. Because of what? Grace. It's interesting. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll pick it up in verse 17. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, if you're reconciled to God, you're also receiving a ministry. You are fulfilling God's purpose, but you are given God's mission. God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And then look at chapter 6, verse 1. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. That's the same words exactly that Paul had used in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. I did not receive His grace in vain. He says, don't you receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. How grateful are we for what we've received? How excited are we for what God has done? There'll never be a better motivation for life itself than grace. Grace is the motivation that Paul said made me work harder than anyone else. Because he'd been a persecutor of the church. 
And then through God's grace have been completely turned around. What were you before God met you? All of us have been completely turned around. We are on our way to eternal separation from God. Lost in our sin. And we've been called out of the world. And we've been given every blessing in Christ. Freely we have received. Let us freely give. Let's pray together as the worship team comes forward. Our Father and God, we are so grateful that you are so generous. And Father, I pray that we can really dig deeper into the message of your grace. The message of your son. Father, he became the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. And we know that it was through submission to you 100% that he fulfilled that plan. Father, we are so grateful for this amazing sacrifice. And Father, I pray that we are motivated today. That we will give as freely as we have received. That we will show you that we, we understand how freely you've done it. Father, that we don't deserve this. That it is an amazing miracle that you've performed in our lives. Father, I pray that each one of us this week can find someone around us at work, in our neighborhood, Father, somewhere in our just day-to-day life, find someone that is open to receiving your grace. I pray that we pour it out with purpose and with help us, Father, not just to be good people, but to be good people with a message. Help us, Father, to be those who give honor and glory to you. Not to goodness or kindness, but to you. Father, you are the giver of every good gift. Father, Jesus gave us an amazing gift. Eternal life with you. I pray that we look around and have as much compassion on people around us as you and your son have had on us. Freely we have received. Freely let us give. In Jesus' name, amen.